Welcome to HSDF the Podcast, a collection of policy discussions on government technology and homeland security brought to you by the Homeland Security and Defense Forum. Today's program is the second in a three-part discussion on protecting U.S. supply chains, securing critical infrastructure, and creating a culture of cybersecurity in America. Featuring Tom Fanning, Chair, Cybersecurity Advisory Committee at CISA, Eric Goldstein, Executive Assistant Director of CISA's Cybersecurity Division, Bobby Stempfley, Vice President at Dell Technologies, and moderated by Luke McCormick, former CIO, Department of Homeland Security. This program was recorded in conjunction with the HSDF Policy Symposium, The Evolution of Federal Cybersecurity, on June 21, 2023. In that context, one of the things that um, is incredibly important and we've made a ton of progress on is getting to more common taxonomies, right? When I go way back um, and look at the arc of cyber policy in this nation, when we started in the early days, this was a technocrat, a technology-oriented activity, right? So I have the advantage of being one of the CIOs on the panel um, here. So not a dead-end job, although uh, I can <laughs> I can see that. Uh, I was going to point that out and yeah. reveal that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But please. Uh, but, but one of the challenges we had um, as CIOs was understanding and speaking in business language, right? That was in the early days of information management and, and other items. The security industry had the same problem. And I think the big transformation we've made in the last four or five years is recognizing it as an economic problem of incentives, not a technology problem. We're not going to engineer our way out of it. We need organizational agility. We need individual agility. We need collaborative agility in order to do these things. And so I think there's uh, that language becomes an incredibly important element of it um, for us to be successful. And the irony of my joke is I'm a former CIO. There you go. See, I love it. <laughs> hey, but wait a minute. The financial incentives, from a corporate CEO standpoint, value is a function of risk and return. I'm talking about stock value. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you must realize is we have a fiduciary accountability to understand this risk. Mm-hmm. This is something we used to pass off to CISOs or CIOs right. exactly. or something else. This is a board level CI, I mean, CEO, CFO problem. And we have to own that. More and more CEOs are now waking up to that reality. We used to like to give the government the pri- I mean the, yeah. the Heisman, right? And now we know that because these battles are happening on our networks right now, that we have to embrace the, the collaboration we get in the joint collaborative environment and, and all these other places. Well, Listen. and we have to have a language about risk that enables us to have that conversation. And that's the piece that I see a lot of innovation happening around um, now, right? Risk and measurement. Those are uh, the sort of next steps of the maturation as an industry. But I mean, it goes, Langevin and I, I know it's Solarium, Jim. Remember we talked about creating a regulatory mindset where it becomes part of your control environment. You've got to be able to demonstrate that you have adequate protection including tone at the top and culture, in order to address these issues. This isn't a technical problem. Technical is at the heart. Mm -hmm. It becomes a cultural corporate valuation problem. So let's let's pull on that a little bit, since we do have a uh, CIO slash now CEO in the room. Um, You know, two to three years ago, you were having these uh, conversations with your colleagues uh, now you're having these conversations sort of post solar winds and some of these other things. 
what's changed in two to three years? You know, how do those conversations look now compared to, uh, of course, the, the people will remain nameless, but we're, we're curious. Uh, it's way more than two to three years ago. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Um, gosh, I don't know. Let's eight, go 10 years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Look, there were a lot of people that said, don't bother me. And a lot of people's stock valuation was getting product to market. They worried about the sanctity of their product after the fact. And there was no way to sense whether the system they were putting in place had some sort of continuity of protection. Because we know that, you know, it's almost like the lava lamp of the 60s. Now I'm showing my age. But the threats always change. The, the surface of attack always changes. And so we always know that a widget can't get UL certified, if you know what I mean. The process of protection must be the issue of certification. How are we going to renew the effort to make sure that what we have is safe? That is a, a key issue in America. And I, I think. I don't disagree with you, but I think the maturation we need is to understand the technical controls and have greater business controls, right? Because at this point, the control environment is all at at a very uh, low level in the enterprise. And so if, if I were to come to my CEO and say, I, you know, I've complied with technical control PO.3.4, that doesn't help us. But if I come to him and say, I have to, uh, I have secured our uh, engineering infrastructure sufficient to against supply chain attacks one through n. That's a different meaningful conversation, um, and so we have to we have to make that transition. Yeah, but you just hit a hot button of mine, and it is this: you can't regulate your way through this issue. I agree with you. Regulation, by its nature, is defensively oriented. Any successful company is offensively oriented. Agree. Regulation says, "I will comply." It is by its nature in the rearview mirror. It always looks back when it said you must do this. As an aspirational behavior of corporate America, we must not look backwards or comply. We must think about what is ahead and skate to where the puck will be. Absolutely. If we limit ourselves by just complying, we will be doing an enormous disservice. Eric, I want you to weigh in on this. Um, uh, where... CISA fits in this model and what they're doing to encourage this community to collaborate from a volunteer perspective versus a regulatory perspective. Yeah. So a few thoughts. First of all, on the on the collaboration front, you know, we have to show shared value, right? The only way to get an organization to engage with the government Engaging with the government is never perceived as cost-free or risk-free. There's always some perception of marginal risk or marginal cost. We can get all the authorities we can to drive that risk to as near to zero as possible. But, you know, both, both I and our directors spend time in the private sector, we realize very well that that risk will never get to true zero. And so the only way to incentivize that collaboration is by showing that the value exceeds the perceived risk. And that's why the work that we have been doing with JCDC is designed to say, you know, you don't have to be here. We want you to want to be here because by being part of this process, you're going to get insights, you're going to get relationships, you're going to get partnerships, you're going to get visibility that none of us no matter how mature, how capable, how broad, can achieve alone. And the more that we can publicly articulate 
that value proposition that makes it easier for operators, for CISOs to go back to their businesses and frankly go back to their attorneys and go back to their counsel and say, listen, we understand that there may be some perception of risk here. Be that as it may, the benefits far out see, uh, outweigh any potential risk. You know, on the on the regulatory front, you know, I think I think Tom frames it as usual extremely well. You know, our goal is to make sure that we have a clear understanding as a community and also as Bobby well noted about the necessary technical and business controls that as the threat evolves are most effective that drive investment in the right areas and are responsive to where the technology and threat environment are going. And then ideally, we will see a business imperative to invest in those prioritized controls, whether or not they are mandated. And what we want to drive is that agile security behavior where organizations are continuously testing themselves against what we are seeing in the in the environment and investing accordingly. And you know, whether or not there is a regulatory floor, we never want that floor to eventually be the ceiling. And so making sure that we are continuously improving our game, recognizing that the adversaries are doing the exact same thing, that's the only way that we'll stay ahead of the threat. Tom, I want to ask you about the CSAC and your role there. And if you could, for the audience, explain what is the CSAC? What is your role there? Uh, cybersecurity advisory. Council committee. I don't know what it is. Some to see. Yeah, it's a C corporation. Um, look, it's it's a, a group of individuals that are so talented. It's an embarrassment of riches in the world. But um, these folks are broken up into six subcommittees that attack both the uh, what and the how of helping CISA undertake its mission. It goes all the way from kind of uh, transforming the cyber workforce to ideas like uh, defining uh, cyber corporate responsibility uh, in a broad sense, cyber hygiene, uh, creating, uh, I think, a national alert system. The one, so I chair the CSAC. I also chair one of the subcommittees, and it's the uh, critical infrastructure, as you would expect, subcommittee, where we're trying to build resilience. When I think back to the original output of the Solarium Commission. I commend you to read the executive summary. It's not bad, 75 pages or so. But there were three big outcomes that we focused on. One was to use all of the powers of state to create a sense of cyber responsibility among and between nations. The second was to create recommendations that would deny the benefits of an attack by our adversaries. And the third was to unleash the power of the United States when attacked to increase the consequences to the attacker. And I think if you look at those three things, those are all kind of inherent, although the second one is most important, to this idea of hardening the infrastructure. What can we do to be more efficient, more agile? more proactive, more aspirational in terms of our behaviors as a private sector with the government. And I believe 29 recommendations out there that CISA has, uh, has pretty much uh, agreed on most of those and is uh, in the process of implementing them. And I would encourage you all to. Yeah. And, and, read and those. didn't agree with all of them only mm-hmm. because CISA has, CISA has to deal with the current state. Mm-hmm. There are changes in law. There are things that we should do. 
as a nation to make ourselves even safer. Well, CESA can't take responsibility for that. But as the private sector, as our committee, we'll go ahead and recommend those anyway. That's job for the next administration and the next year and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, I'm going to rewind a little bit. Uh, Bobby, you did reveal that you were a CIO once upon a time. Once upon a time. And uh, you really in a unique situation because of that role, the roles that you played at uh, what is uh, prior to, uh, to CISA. Uh, NPPD spent a lot of time over there, different roles, a variety of roles in the <laughs> private sector. Let's just get a current definition of ransomware. And why, why is ransomware so prevalent these days? Weren't we getting tipped over, you know, 10 years ago? What's changed? Oh, gosh. Um, so uh, remember I said that we recognize this as an economics problem. Our adversaries recognize this as an economics problem long before the technologists did um, in this space, right? They went where the money was. Ransomware is a manifestation of their following the money. Um, think about it. I, I, I find it shocking that I would need to define ransomware to a, a group of individuals. But in case you don't know, I think about it as an adversary getting access to your network network and holding something of value, of yours of value hostage. They encrypt it for you. You can't get access to it. And then uh, they ask you to pay to get it back. But they're also very happy and very likely to either not give it back to you, but to release it onto, uh, out onto the web anyway. So it's all about getting money. Right? That's what it is. And the incentive structure in this world, because software is everywhere, because we are happily interconnected, because we have um, holes in many instances in the bulkheads that are exist um, throughout the world, um, because we have people both high, uh, we have folks who can uh, have high-end mature security programs and those who don't have high-end maturity programs. The ability for this to be pervasive is subs substantive, and the anonymity um, on the part of the adversary makes it a low-cost, uh, low high-payoff um, activity. Right? That's just sort of the, the contribution. So why wouldn't this be a thing that, that occurs? And, I, and there's been an awful lot of work being done at the technical level, at the interorganizational level between government and industry, at the international level within uh, to affect all parts of this problem, right? It's been recognized as an ecosystem set of activities where government has a variety of roles from law enforcement and investigation. And I think even the JCDC's involvement um, in, in that space, there's treasury involvement and others in order to try to uh, impact the financial benefits of it. And there's a lot of technological components that are in place to try to identify um, these uh, infections very early. And and a lot of business focus on business continuity and resilience, such that when it occurs to someone, you can come back from it in a rather rapid, um, sort of a rather rapid manner. Unfortunately, it is uh, a sophisticated, whereas a specific uh, event might not be sophisticated, the response required to, to, to change the dynamic requires the whole ecosystem to do something um, and to pull in the same direction. And so I'm actually really pleased with things like the ransomware task force um, with a set of internet, series of international conversations around it that have really made a difference. Uh, a number of industry partners have really stepped up in terms of ransomware detection um, in their activities, the entire set of cyber resiliency uh, tools and technologies that are out there that help organizations um, sort of buy down the risk. And why, if don't you, we, 
Go ahead, please. Oh, please. Um, but but um, if you look at, uh, if, if you talk to CIOs um, and CISOs, their data, I mean, they recognize this as a substantive risk for them. And they recognize their data as um, having immense value and really are in the process of sort of undergoing what workloads are more important than others as they're trying to roll out their own internal business continuity activities in light of this threat uh, threat model. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow HSDF the podcast on every major podcast platform. Visit hsdf.org to learn more about the Homeland Security and Defense Forum and HSDF the podcast.